broadcasting worldwide on internet radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. The Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Previously recorded with Mark as the host of the Mark Kohler Show. Enjoy this fresh take on strategies to better live the American dream. everybody to today's show. My name is Mark Kohler. Excited to be here with you. This is the Open Forum Show. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I myself, I will be hosting the show today myself and doing my best to answer tax and legal questions, estate planning, asset protection, business structuring. We've got, I think, a, a little uh, tax or legal tip coming on here with Kevin Kennedy here in a moment. We'll be going over that. Uh, but uh, all in all, this is this show where it's all about you and your questions, and I'm going to do my best to answer and give you some uh, areas to find answers if I don't have them and get those answers for you, even for the next show if I have to. So welcome. For those that are new listeners, my name is Mark Kohler, your uh, CPA attorney, uh, author, uh, family man, surfer, just hanging in, hanging out there, trying to live my American dream and uh, just loving life. So uh, today I'm excited too to say I am broadcasting live from uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. We have opened an office uh, for the accounting firm officially now here in Honolulu. And I kind of made the mistake of, about 20 minutes ago, I was uh, talking to a uh, a good, uh, my friend, my publisher, uh, an entrepreneur on the book, and I complained and said, yeah, traffic in Honolulu sucks this morning. She's like, did I just hear you complain that you're in Honolulu? <laughs> she goes, I don't care what the traffic like. Don't say that again. And so, uh, <laughs> and that is true. It is, it is so beautiful over here. The people are so wonderful. Um, I've been here for three to four days. We've had our workshop on Saturday. Uh, this is my last day of office hours here, and then tomorrow I'm back. California. But uh, so if any of you uh, want to come over here and possibly meet and get a tax uh, consult here uh, with one of our team members, uh, we've partnered here with Jarrett McConnus. He's just incredible, a lawyer here on the island of Oahu. And uh, he was at the workshop Saturday. Any of you that are local here, you've probably seen his name float around. And uh, I encourage you to come meet with him. He's a business planner, a state planner, strategist, and he'll be helping many, many of our local Hawaiian clients. And folks, get over here for a tax write-off. Get over here and visit us. December 13th is our next workshop in Honolulu, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And let's see here. So take that tax write-off for the airfare at least in a night or two of hotel and, and uh and maybe spend a couple extra days with us. Um, on that note, let me mention this for all of you um, that are thinking about one of the workshops uh, coming up. Uh, we've got still uh, Sacramento in a few weeks, and then uh, up to Seattle, and back into Orange County, and then in Honolulu. So four workshops left for the fall. And of course, I'm speaking at a few other places here and there, but these are our four primary workshops where we invite all of our clients and uh, followers from around the country uh, I want to 
let you know that this outline, this workshop, I am um, changing dramatically for these last four workshops. I know that sometimes some of you are listening here and you're like, Mark, you're a broken record. You uh, talk about your S-Corps and the kids and writing off this and that and self-directing and the real estate. That Kind of our top ten strategies. I, I, I use that with new attendees to a new workshop, but on my uh, annual update, our Wealth Transformation Workshop, I'm going to be bringing in some entirely new topics and slides. Our sponsor is Randy Lubke uh, from Paradigm Financial, a wonderful, wonderful resource for us. He's going to be making some comments on how to integrate your financial structure with your tax plan and asset protection plan. And I want to talk about disappearing, hiding, uh, identity theft, ways to take yourself more out of the public purview. And I want to talk about corporate credit, ways to build corporate credit properly, um, topics that I normally don't cover in a workshop we're going to hit. So be looking for some announcements on that. I think many of you will find that workshop really, really helpful. So excited to uh, be uh, be with you in those areas. And I was just back east. I, I know I only did one workshop back east, and I'm neglecting our East Coast clients to some degree, but Please know uh, probably the bulk of our clients are out here in Utah, Arizona, California, uh, Nevada, and Hawaii. We're just kind of, uh, you know, all up the coast here, Oregon, Washington. But um, please come out west and spend the day with us at the workshop. Um, if you haven't had a chance, the newsletter today was phenomenal. I was really excited about the topics. Uh, Matt Sorensen has a great article in there. Please uh, check it out. It's on precious metals and how you can invest in gold, silver, and bullion, what the rules are with your IRAs and 401ks. Uh, I had an article in there on the corporate credit strategy, six steps to start building corporate credit. Now, as many of you know, um, I'm not a big uh, fan of the buy this, pay big upfront fee and buy this old corporation and you get corporate credit and all this crap. It's a scam. It literally is a scam. However, can you build corporate credit legitimately? Yes. Of course, we covered that on a radio show about uh, four months ago, and I really am uh, wanting to talk about it more and catch the vision for my clients so that they're they're happy about their options uh, for credit uh, when it comes to their business entity. So check out those articles, some deadlines. I've got the uh, link there for the new uh, tax app, the Deductor uh, Mark Fuller tax app, where you can track your mileage on GPS, take pictures of your receipts. Please check that out. Um, I think you'll really like it. And um, some videos, just the regular. So if you're not on our newsletter, go to any of our websites, KKLS Lawyers or markjcolor.com, Katie, CPAs, uh, and uh, check out the, the newsletter. I think you'll you'll have a, a really um, uh, a positive experience each week kind of scanning it. Um, okay, well, I'm going to bring out one of our uh, – experts here, one of our special guests. We're excited to have him here on a regular basis. This is Kevin Kennedy, an attorney running uh, around Phoenix and in our Phoenix office. He does uh, a really good job. I know he's helping clients around the country. Some of you already had a chance to work with him. We're excited to have him uh, with us today. Kevin, are you there? I am, Mark. How are you? Good, 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 good enjoying the sun and the fun here. I'm not going to complain about traffic. And uh, <laughs> that's him. So we're plugging along. How are you doing? All right. What do you got I'm for good. us today? I'm good. All right. All right. So here's a tip. 
you know, that I realize won't apply to every listener, but for those that it does apply to, uh, based on the reaction from some of the people who've come to us, they're going to sleep better tonight. So, uh, Mark, as you know, you know, one of our product offerings is the setup of a solo uh, 401k retirement plan. And when we set these up for clients, you know, we give them instructions and education so that they can properly you know, administer their plan. Well, lately we've had some people come to us. Yeah, we, we've had some people come to us who have previously gone to another attorney or company to set up their their solo 401k retirement plan for their business. And their situation is that they didn't know, and neither did their accountant, that if the plan assets of the of the 401k exceed $250,000, they need to file a form 5500 easy. And it's it's a short form. It, it's very easy. Uh, it can be electronically filed, no big deal, unless you forget to file. So this is where some of the people out there who I've talked to are, are losing sleep because the fees can be as much as $15,000 for each missed filing. So, all right, wow. so fortunately, yeah, fortunately, I, I don't know if it's because the IRS recognizes the fact that the solo 401k, you know, it's here to stay, um, and it's mostly being, you know, self-administered by these business owners, they've implemented a penalty relief program. So the details can be found online, but if you Google IRS 5500-EASY penalty relief program, all the information is there on the IRS's website. If you follow, basically, if you follow the requirements of the program, the IRS will waive these penalties that you may have for, for missed years where, where you should have filed your 5500-EASY, but you didn't. So this is, this is huge. So... Uh, you know, we can help people with this. The requirements are they're not extensive, but just to name a few, you know, you have to prepare a cover sheet for each late or yet to be filed 5500 easy with some basic information that the that uh, you need to fill in. You need to write at the top of each uh, form 5500 easy that you know this is being filed pursuant to this specifically under this penalty relief program, and then you have to mail it in. You can't e-file it. Normally, you can e-file it, but under this program, you have to mail it in. So there's a you know there's a few other requirements but but this could save someone you know literally thousands of dollars and so again I realize this does, doesn't apply to everybody for this uh, for those that this tip does apply to you know based on the reaction of a couple people who have come to us and realize that this uh, penalty relief program is out there they they're feeling a lot better uh, about their situation so not a long tip uh, but basically you know it's out there we can help you if anyone has questions they can contact me. Uh, at 602-761-9798, or they can email me, Kevin, at kkoslawyers.com. Well, I like it, Kevin. This is a great point. There are so many people that uh, dive into the 401k, and this is a really interesting example you bring up because just yesterday um, here in Honolulu, meeting with a client, they brought in this big binder of a 401k document they bought online. And I was like, okay. And their literal question when they sat down was, okay, what do I do with this now? And I was like, uh, well, who did you buy this from? Well, I just did it online. I'm like, okay. And so what's the company behind it? Well, what do you mean what company is behind it? And, you know, and then I, was, yeah. and I go, what do you want to do with it? Oh, I want to combine it with other money, and I want to go do this. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So we were, had to work backwards and rebuild the um, the whole um the structure 
and, and, and talked about those pieces and parts. And so for some of you out there that have a 401k, you maybe had it for years, and or you just set one up and you're not sure what to do with it or how to maintain it, and maybe you got a cheap price online getting it done, fine. Now it's time to pay for a little bit of support. Um, and you may have got it on the cheap end, but now it's that other part needs to happen, and that's the consulting and support. So, Kevin, uh, this is what you do every day, right? I mean, this is this is right up your alley. So anybody with that kind of nightmare, and maybe it is prior penalties, they can chat with you about that. Absolutely, yep. Well, good stuff, good stuff. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us again. And email again, Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, at KKOSLawyers.com. And any sort of 401k setup, uh, very affordable, 1200 bucks. you're up and going, and you get a couple hours with Kevin to walk you through it and explain it and uh, make sure you've got everything figured out right. And, guys, it's well worth the investment, and it's so much cooler than an IRA. Are these cooler than an IRA, Kevin? I mean, well, hey, that's, yeah, there's there's definitely – it's not – it's it, it's not for everybody, but for those that it does apply to, there's some benefits that I would say supersede the IRA, to, you know, so – yeah. But they're both good for diff- depending on your situation. So, <laughs> well, well, thanks cool, for having cool, me on, Mark. Cool. I appreciate it. Hey, Kevin, thanks for being here. We'll uh, we'll catch you here in a few weeks and have you back on. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. All right. Okay. Well, folks. Now, as I announced a little at the very beginning, if you've just joined us, this is the open forum show today. So, open forum means I need your questions. I need your comments. Uh, anything you want to discuss, I've got a bunch of emails here to go through. Woo! And live callers always get priority. We've got Elizabeth Phillips in the studio today covering for Lisa Owens. And so if you want to call in and press uh, call in the number, if you're already on here, great. But if not, the phone number is 646-200-4285. That's 646-200-4285. Just press the number one. Uh, Liz, behind the scenes, will take care of you in the studio and uh, uh, bring you uh, out online. She'll text me or in our chat line. We've got a kind of a new chat window, so it's a so she'll just type in the chat window that we've got a caller, and I'll bring you out. Um, until then, I'm going to jump into the email. So, if, what is very efficient, folks? If you have a questions on the show today, please just email me directly. I've got another screen open with my email. It's Mark at markjkohler.com or mark at kkoslawyers.com shoot me a quick email and in the subject line put open forum questions so I don't uh, dive into uh, some personal story (laughs) with a question there Um, and I'm going to start right here with Jason out of Oklahoma sending a question and appreciate you uh, Jason sending over this Uh, good stuff this is a great question he says the house that my wife and I currently live in was originally purchased nine years ago with the idea of it becoming a rental at some point. My question is, could an LLC that I set up buy my property from me, provided that a commercial loan could be secured so that we could cash out and use it to buy a new house for my wife and I? Um, The answer is um, yes. Now, that's a little cumbersome. Another way of looking at it is you wouldn't actually have to go through a quote-unquote purchase. Just go get a loan on it and use that money to go buy a new house. Um, You don't have to um, uh, 
create a sale to do that. Question, if you go to a bank and say, hey, I've got a buyer that's buying my house, and will you give me a loan? And as soon as they figure out that you're the buyer buying your own house, I wonder if that might complicate um, the loan. I have a feeling that they may not um, use uh, your purchase as a, a good benchmark as to the fair market value. Of course, they're going to get an appraisal. But my point being here is if you want to suck the cash out so that you can go um, – use that money to buy a new house, um, then by all means, take out a loan. And in fact, the the interest on that loan could very well be used as the rental property mortgage. So I would pay that interest off under the rental property because that property is going to stay as a rental, and I would transfer it to an LLC. I just don't know if you need to go through the purchase procedure. So that's all I'm getting at. I think the big question, the big issue here is, Jason, talking to your lender. Go to your lender and say, here's what the property's worth. Here's how much money I want out of it. If I went through a purchase, is that going to be a problem? Would that be easier for you? Because really the, the company or the person that's going to drive that entire equation is going to be the lender. So um, I don't want to have a problem with it. Um, you've got a sale of home exemption with the IRS, so you're not going to pay tax on it anyway. Or you can rip out the equity and you're not going to pay tax on that either. So in my world, this is a tax-neutral event. It's just doing what you need to to keep the banker happy. So keep that in mind. We've got a question on the uh, line right now. We've got Codron on the line. So I'm going to bring him out here. Codron, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, joining us today. I'm Mark. Hey, Hello. thank you for calling in. Hey, you get priority, yeah. man. You may have been waiting for a minute, thinking, "Oh, Mark's not going to call on me for a moment." But uh, <laughs> hey, when you call in, dude, you you I put all these other email questions on hold. So, um, what's yeah, going on? What, awesome. what have you got for That's us? Awesome. So I so another home sale question. Um, my dad has uh, a primary residence, or excuse me. A secondary residence, not as prim- it used to be a primary residence, but he hasn't lived in it for years. Wasn't a let rental, it was a second home, um, and he bought it some time ago, so his tax base is pretty low. Um, now there's some loans on it, and um, he wants to give me the house, basically subject to the loans, but I'm afraid there might be a tax liability, and so I wanted to know if there's anything to mitigate that liability. A great question. Now, is this? Uh, you said it's uh, a rental currently, or it's just a second? It is home? not. It is not. This is just a second home. Okay. Um, do you mind sharing what how much equity might be in the property? That's going to play a factor. So, what's it worth so, minus what the mortgage is on it right now that you'd be assuming? So he he bought it like probably paid like ninety five thousand in in the the late eighties, and uh, it's probably worth like. Make an argument at two thirty at the very lowest two forty. Okay. And there's a mortgage on it right now. You said. Yeah, it's um, it's like two sixty or something like that. Oh, so it's upside down. Yeah, as far as the mortgage goes, yes, it is. Okay, okay, this is the best news you've shared in your question so far. I, 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 I hope that's just good news for you. You're getting a property <laughs> that's equal to the mortgage. Is that right? I mean, that's really what's happening, it's, right? It's, it's, I'm basically, yeah, I'm just taking it over. I'm taking over that low-interest loan that he's got on there. 
and not, you know, basically just taking over the house. It's worth more fixed up. I do this for a, for a living, so I'm just going to fix it up, and I'm going to actually keep it. But um, but it, as it is, it's, you know, it's kind of dilapidated. It wasn't really touched since 1986 since it was bought. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, on the lower end, you argue it's worth $250, to, you know, or so, and um, fixed up, it's probably like three forty, three thirty-five. Um, but I, I just, I'm going to take it over to that low, low interest loan. But I'm afraid that it's going to cause a, a big tax hit uh, for my dad. Okay. Well, okay. So financially, and, and I apologize, I probably shouldn't have asked. That's your decision. But financially, you're saying, hey, it makes sense, Mark. So I'm going to go for this house, and I can fix it up, use it as a rental, a second home, or flip it. So perfect. Right. Uh, the the answer here, you're going to love this. Uh, this is good for everybody to think about. Um, let me phrase it in a way so all of our listeners can benefit from this. When family gives property um, to um, child, a lot of times the family, mom or dad, wants to give the family farm or wants to deed property to a child. It's a gift. And so you have to look at what is the real gift. It's, or what's the net gift? Now, in this situation, let's say the property was worth uh, 300 and the loan was 200, you would have a net gift of $100,000. But in this situation, with the property being uh, arguably equivalent to the loan, so if we could get, and I probably suggest, even if you put together your, at very least, I'd want you to get a, a broker's opinion. Pull every pull out several reports from Zillow. Right. Create a little case I, file. I'm a broker. Oh, he did. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And and you may even want to pay three or four hundred bucks and get a very affordable appraisal, okay. uh, if okay. possible. But the point okay. is, is you want to say, hey, the property is worth what the mortgage is. So there's no gift here. My dad really is giving me a in in the eyes of the IRS a lemon. It's not worth anything because the mortgage is equivalent to the value. So there's no gift tax. It's not taxable to you. It's not taxable to him. I would complete a um, some sort of gosh transfer document. You, you could say uh, it could even. In fact, what I'd probably do is do a purchase, do a purchase agreement, and your dad may even have a loss involved. I'm not sure where this loan came from, um, but. Because a refi. You're a, yeah, okay. So you might want to look at um, uh, to see if uh, he could have a, uh, a loss involved. But um, the net gift isn't there. Now, he's got to get it off his books. It is true that his basis is going to be lower, but you're assuming the mortgage. Um, is there a gain there? I just don't mm-hmm. see it. So I don't know. I, I may be missing something. I... Um, I'm going to make a note here, Codrent. I've got your phone number here on our um, um, ID for this, and I'm going to bring this up with one of my partners because I don't want to give bad advice on the, the radio. If I'm wrong, if there's something I've said that's wrong, I'm going to call you. So if you don't get a call from me later today or tomorrow, you can say, oh, Mark was right on. <laughs> but, but I'm going to get a second opinion here too, and I'll just see. But I just... And whenever it's such an easy answer, I always feel like I did something wrong. So, uh, but I'll, uh, Codron, that's a great question. I think you're good to go. And uh, because Dad's basis is lower, but you're assuming a mortgage, um, he's gonna. Oh, man, 
whether you have a gain between the board. But we don't want it to be a sale. We want it to be a gift. So right. I'll, I'll look into it and see what we can do here. Oh, here, I've got the answer here. I'm going to just say it right now. If you sell it, because you're assuming the mortgage, he'd probably have a gain, uh, but you would get stepped-up basis. That's the missing piece there. But it, since he's going to gift it to you, you're going to get carryover basis. So what that means mm-hmm. here is, okay, that's the missing part. I apologize. Some uh, CPA so is listening so somewhere. Gonna, huh. So I'm going to pay the difference. I'm actually going to take his basis because he's gifted. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. And I, you're right. You're going to take his basis, and so there's no tax to him and no tax to you for now. But when you do go to sell it, then you, you would have tax. If you wanted to buy it from him, you would look at your assumption of the mortgage as the purchase price, and then he would have a gain potentially, but you didn't mm-hmm. get at least stepped up basis. You'd never pay tax again, or at least at that level. Got it. So, okay, that makes there sense. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, man. <Boy>. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, Mark. That was good. Hey, you bet. Thank you, Cochran, and you're not going to get a call back from me. That was the piece that was like, <laughs> I knew there was something lurking back there I wasn't getting. <laughs> so you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thank you for calling in. Great question. All right, so we're going to jump back over to the emails. Folks, you've just joined us. We're in the open forum show, and this is where I'm under major stress trying to make sure I answer questions properly. Um, We've got a question from Mark here, and he called in even said, hey, I want priority. I don't want to talk on the radio, I don't think, but I sent you um, my email, so please (laughs) bring it up. So I'm going to do it right now, Mark. Um, He says, I'm thinking about buying two adjoining properties approximately $75,000 next week with my self-directed IRA. All right, so two adjoining properties for seventy-five grand. Uh, can I buy and hold them as a rental and collect all rents tax-free back into my account? Yes, that's, yeah, you're good to go there. Um, it sounds like you didn't say you were going to have a mortgage, so there's no... Uh, unrelated debt financed income and you're just going to buy these properties and furthermore when you sell them all the gain goes back into you uh, to your IRA tax-free as well then he says then later buy them back from my retirement plan by using bank financing and hold title in my name personally oh Mark that's where we took a a right turn uh, (laughs) U-turn hit the brakes No, you can't buy the property back from your IRA. Um, A brother or sister could, um, a a girlfriend, but not a spouse or a parent or a child or a spouse of a parent or child. So um, any prohibited party could not buy those properties from your IRA in the future. You'd have to sell them to a third party. But again, your IRA can collect all the rents, and when you sell the property – the capital gain would go back into your IRA tax-free as well. He further goes on to say, the reason why I want to do this is because the properties are in pretty bad shape and it's difficult to find someone to give me a loan on them right now. They should have a combined net cash flow of around 1000 per month, even after I get bank financing. I want to get my money back into my retirement plan because I need to show reserves for other investments and want to have the money there for even better investments with a higher ROI in the future. I'd love to see, oh, and thanks, and I, uh, I'll see you in Sacramento in a few weeks. Oh, great. Mark, thanks for coming out to the Sacramento event. Um, well, here's the thing. If you want, if you're trying to finance them, 
um, and you said it's hard to get financing for these, uh, one thing you might want to consider is partnering with someone, um, getting a private loan from someone. Um, I meet with clients every day that are money lenders, um, sometimes hard money, sometimes just first trustees. So if you really start putting the feelers out there, you might find a private lender rather than trying to go through a bank. Um, but uh, And if these properties are cash flowing, one of the guests, he was on the show last week, uh, I, and I'm going to say this, Mark, if you haven't listened to last week's show with Matt Sorensen, where we had Matt Allen from um, North American Savings Bank, NASB, where they do non-recourse loans to IRAs, and it's all based on the cash flow of the property. So I would really check out um, that uh, um, that show and talk to Matt Allen. He might be able to have a, a, an option for you. So check that out, Mark. Great questions. Okay, I'm going to um, run over here to some other uh, questions online. Let me see if we have a live caller here. Um, maybe here shortly, but I'm going to just jump back to our emails. And again, folks, if you have a question, shoot me an email on my um, at mark. Uh, send it to me, mark at markjkohler.com or mark at KKLS Lawyers. All right, so um, coming over to Sarah. Um, so Sarah asked the question, Mark, I am confused about who needs to receive a 1099 at the end of the year. I'm clear that it's for amounts over 600 but I'm unclear as to which professionals should receive them and which ones don't need to. I have a property management company as well as a real estate investment company. For the property manager side, we send 1099s to the individual owners of units that we managed last year, but not to the condo associations that we manage. I know I need to send one to attorneys and real estate professionals, but what about other businesses? I am completing a fix and flip with a partner this quarter. We are expecting to split 35000 in profit. My company receives the profit, then it pays half to this partner who's in an LLC. Does this require 1099? I thought it would be considered a business-to-business -business transaction. Require one. Am I supposed to 1099 in all businesses I paid more than $6,000? Because that is a lot of businesses. Well, and I think at the end you meant to say $600, not $6,000. Um, I appreciate any clarification you might be able to provide on this topic. Thanks, as always. Your help in this area. Um, and I know I truly appreciate it. I assume others do as well. Uh, have a great Tuesday. Thanks, Sarah. Um, okay, well, a few thoughts. First of all, in my blog, if you go to the, my blog at markjcore.com, type on the, the blog uh, uh, section, and I've got an article uh, near the January. Just go into the history, and you'll see an article on 1099s. Read that. I think that may help a little bit. Um, also, uh, a few thoughts. Um, to dive right into this. I, I'm, my mind is swimming here because there's so much I want to say. Number one, the key to all this 1099 stuff is always making sure that you get a, a W-9 from all people. You want to make sure that um, uh, people are giving you this form so that you can determine if they're a corporation or an individual, what their tax ID number is or their social, what their address is. So get these W-9s from everybody and make sure that they are filling them out and giving them to you. Now, the rule is, if they're a corporation, you don't have to give them a 1099. So, for example, I go to Costco. 
I paid them more than $600 last year, and they're a company, but they're a corporation. Um, and so when you're paying retail establishments and getting a receipt for retail goods, um, the IRS doesn't expect you, of course, to 1099 those folks. Um, however, you have 1099 attorneys, like you said, and you're going to tend, it's really there for services. And so when you 1099, uh, sorry, when you pay someone for services, you're supposed to get a W-9, and then if it, they check the box that they're a corporation, then you just put it in your file. And even if you pay them $600 or $60,000, you don't have to 1099 them. Kind of a weird little rule. But if they're an individual or an LLC, you do need to 1099 them if you pay them more than $600. Now, back to your person here that you're splitting profit with. I would certainly 1099 your partner. This is where some people, and you've heard me talk about this before, you really should have an LLC for partners. But in this situation, you're doing the deal in your name, you're collecting all the revenue in your name, you're paying all, paying all the expenses in your name or company, and then this partner of yours is going to get 50% of the net. Well, when you write them a check, darn it, you want a write-off, right, Sarah? You want a tax write-off for paying this partner. Well, darn it, you better uh, send them a 1099 and make sure that um, you document it and um, call it outside services or whatever feed makes sense. Uh, and your accountant can play with different titles for that. But I would 1099 them. Now, if they're a corporation, get a W-9 from them, and you don't have to. Uh, again, that kind of weird little rule there. But uh, I would typically 1099 a partner in a, in a joint venture like that because I want to make sure that you get the write-off. So, uh, so think about that. I think, I think that would be a, a wise move. Um, okay, let's jump over here to uh, – I'm just checking our live chat and, and uh, the questions coming in. Um, okay, we've got an open forum question. This is from Larissa. Uh, she says, thanks so much for your show. It's great. I'm a devoted listener. Please advise on the situation below. Ooh. Okay, let's see if we can hit this quickly. And this is Larissa from San Diego. Thanks so much. Um, husband and wife live in California, no children. Purchased two term life insurances, one for husband, and he owns it in his own name, and one for wife, and she owns it in her own name, in her name. And they are 100% beneficiaries of each insurance. All right. What is the best option to own term life insurance to avoid possible estate tax in the future when one of the spouses die is if their taxable estate will be more than the basic exclusion amount? Um, each spouse should own their own, or should they place the life insurance in an irrevocable living trust for this option too? Will they need to create a trust for both insurances or two different trusts? Um, or number three, husband should own wife's insurance and wife should own husband's insurance. IRS Pub 559 says that your gross estate includes life insurance. Proceeds payable to your estate or if you own the policy or to your heirs. Um, 706 says that there is a marital deduction for surviving spouses and Yada, yada, yada. Please advise. Okay, well, first of all, Larissa, please keep in mind that we're talking about a gross estate. So this is for everybody. So everybody, you may have thought that was a little convoluted. Let me say this. Larissa's on to something. When you pass away, the IRS takes a picture. How much are you worth? In that picture, it includes life insurance that you own or the beneficiary uh, of, and number two, your home, personal residence, and any equity, your IRAs, 401ks, rental property, jewelry, cars, yada, yada, then $5.5 million right now. There could be a state tax on everything over 
$5.5 million. So the first thing is if you're married, we'll do an AB trust where the wife can leave the husband tax-free up to $5.5 million, and the husband could leave wife uh, $5.5 million, and they both combined could leave their money to, um, to other beneficiaries. So that means we could almost protect $11 million for the next layer of beneficiaries. And, in fact, there's really an unlimited marital deduction. I should say that, um, Larissa, you could leave $20 million to your husband, and he's not going to pay any tax. It's at the next level when he passes away. We want to use an AB trust to protect $12 million. So for everybody here, so you don't swerve off the road and fall asleep or, you know, you're eating your sandwich and fall asleep on your sandwich. Hang tight here. But here's the point. If you really have an estate with life insurance um, that's over $5.5 million, what people will do is use the islet. Your answer, your option is number two the irrevocable life insurance trust is the best way to go. It's not called an irrevocable living trust. It's called an islet, an irrevocable life insurance trust. And you typically have them for each individual beneficiary. So your husband would have one and you would have one. So you'd have separate islets for these, whoever the beneficiary is. But I've got to say, Larissa, here again, if you're worried about your husband paying tax when you pass away, he's not. If you're worried about you paying tax and you get a, say you get a $10 million life insurance policy in your, in your husband's name and he dies, you're not going to pay tax. The concern is the people that you leave your estate to. If it's more than $12 million combined, then we've got to really worry about these islands. So I know that's a very rare um, situation. That doesn't affect a lot of Americans because they don't have 10 $12 million floating around. But if you're in that boat, I would look at islets and... Um, look at an AB trust, and I'm not sure if you'd really need it. So I'd get a consult on that, and we could definitely be of help. Okay, we've got a question from Mike here. He says, Mark, I'm a real estate trainer. Uh, oh, a real estate trainer suggested establishing a QRP, putting your first LLC in it, then transferring funds to a second LLC for your major buying, selling, trading, payouts. Is this a good plan? So the real estate trainer um, suggested establishing a, a QRP, putting your first LLC in it, then transferring funds to a second LLC for your major buying. Well, I think what – are they talking about a qualified personal residence trust? We call that a QPERT, a qualified RP is that a qualified retirement plan, maybe? Um, Mike, um, you might want to send me an email later with a little more detail. Um, if you have a, a retirement plan with an LLC and then you transfer it to another LLC, buying, selling, trading, I don't see the strategy here. And I'd have some concerns, especially with a retirement plan and LLCs and a second LLC. Something seems weird here. And the biggest issue I would have is that if a real estate trainer is giving legal advice, real estate trainers should teach, okay, you know what? I'm going to use this as a bully pulpit. Mike, thank you. Darn it. I'm going to say damn it here. If you said no use, except BYU. So fair enough. Um, some of you BYU fans out there, I'm grateful you're still rooting for the use. Um, so here's my concern. Folks, real estate trainers, real estate coaches should be giving you advice on how to make money in real estate. 
not how you should be structuring your legal world, not giving you tax advice. They should be helping you learn how to buy and sell and fix and flip and rent and yada, 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 make money in real estate. That's their job. They're, good. they're better at it than me, you would hope. They're, they're a real estate investor. But darn it, when they start giving you tax and legal structuring, get an entity here advice, you say, that's not your job. Don't tell me that. Give me the referral of a good tax or attorney type that can help me. And heaven forbid their coaching company has some other business calling you out of a call center in Nevada trying to sell you entities and structures that are overpriced without a consultation with a real attorney. Folks, be careful here. And so, Mike, I'm just going to throw that out. I can't make sense of the question per se, and that's not to be rude to you. I think this real estate trainer doesn't know what he's doing so um, or she's doing. So be careful there. Um, that just, just drives me nuts here. Okay. Um, okay, we've got another. Let's see here. Uh, where are we at on time? Boy, we're cranking along. 20 minutes left here in the show. And if anybody has a live question, please call in at 646-200-4285. Press the number one, and you can um, uh, uh, and uh, get on for any questions here you may have. We love it. Let's see here. Um, going here to another question. Okay, got a question on a promissory note. Okay, this is from Eric says, Mark, I've got a bar, um, an investor that I'm going to be borrowing money from for a real estate project. I promised him um, a couple points and interest on the loan. Do I need to set up an LLC for this relationship, and how should I document this structure? Eric, great question. Well, first, if you're going to have someone loaning you money, and this is good for everybody listening, if you're going to have someone loaning you money for a real estate project, then we want to confirm, are they really a lender? Which I would hope. All you're going to do is pay them a couple points and 8 or 10 or 12% interest at the, you know hard money rates at the high end and first trustee rates at the low end. So you just want to say, how much is how much am I paying this person? And do they expect, here's the key questionnaire, do they expect a share of the profit when you sell the property? If they do, they're not really a lender. They're a partner. But if they're going to just expect interest and points, then they're a lender. And that's great. So as a lender, you would use a promissory note, promise to pay them at a certain date. You know, is there a deadline? What's, what are the terms? And then uh, typically a lender is going to want a trust deed where you're going to record a trust deed that references the note and lien the property. So that way your promissory note is secured well, it's secured for your borrower. Uh, sorry, you're the borrower. It's secured for the lender so that they have some protection so that if you can't um, come through um, paying them back, they've got some sort of uh, lien against the property. And um, that's uh, uh, a very, very uh, um, lender's comfortable. They want to make sure they have security. They want that promissory note. And so... Um, be really careful um, uh, trying to just do a promissory note and think they're going to be okay with it. So uh, very, very good question, Eric. So promissory note, first trust deed, don't worry about an with that person. 
you may need an LLC for your structure, but you don't need an LLC with that um, with that partner because they're not a partner. Um, oh, quick comment from Julie. She says, amen to that, Mark, my ranting and raving. She said, get advice from a professional CPA or attorney, exclamation point. Yay, Mark, Julie. <laughs> Thanks so much. Real estate trainer, shout out. I know, Julie, it drives me nuts. So um, uh, great, um, great question. Let me see. We've got to see here. Um, um, okay, and so this is from Kevin. He says, aloha, Mark. Love your tax and legal training in Renatus. Thank you so much. I speak for Renatus. He says, I live in Texas and hear that lease purchase contracts are frowned upon and it's better to use a subject to and flip into a land contract banned on this. Um, that, now, this is a really, this is a classic example um, of what Julie was just mentioning there with real estate trainers and tax and legal and how they do, they both play different roles. So, for example, uh, Kevin, this is a great question where, um, from a strategy standpoint, your real estate trainer may say lease purchase or subject tos and flip and land contracts. They may have a wonderful way to acquire real estate, help you close more real estate, um, get better tenants, make more money. And I don't know the best way to do that in Texas. You know, there's going to be different strategies to get you, make you more money. And, and your real estate trainer, is that's what they're all about. Okay. Now, from the legal standpoint, you bring up a great point. Lease purchase contracts are frowned upon in a lot of states. And they're not frowned upon because they're not legal. It's because what happens is, is the tenant with a lease purchase contract, courts have interpreted a lease purchase as a tenant building an equitable interest in the property. So say, for example, Kevin, you go out and you rent a house and the owner shows up and says, hey, do you want a lease option? You're like, sure. And they say, hey, I'll apply some of the lease payments towards the purchase price. Let's do a, a new lease agreement with you having the option to purchase it and I'll give you a special deal and, you know, all these little add backs and everything. And you're like, sweet, that sounds great. Now as a, as a property owner, that's a good deal. You get a better tenant, someone that's excited about the property. They're going to take better care of it because they hope to purchase it. Hey, it's all good from a strategy standpoint. But what happens is, is Kevin, if you're the tenant and all of a sudden six months or a year from now, you have problems with your, job or career or money and you can't follow through and you say, you know what, I'm going to buy this freaking house and I've got some equity here because I've been paying this higher lease payment with, a, with purchasing it. And, and that's called an equitable interest in some courts. And Texas is one of these where judges will say, well, hey, your, your tenant is really almost like a part owner, or not a part owner, but they're in the, the ownership process. So you can't just evict them. You've got to foreclose on them. And so that's where um, foreclosure, which takes a lot more time, money, and effort, um, is a pain in the butt. And so some states, it's better to have a lease and then a separate um, purchase contract rather than a lease purchase contract. You separate them, and that can work well too. So, Kevin, the one thing I would recommend is get with, 
a local real estate attorney in your area that knows lease purchase contracts and can help you design the right procedure for the type of strategy you're doing. And again, this is where your real estate coach in that area should have a good lawyer contact in Texas to help you with this particular issue. They're not going to do the documents for you or be the lawyer. They're going to help you find documents properly. So just be be extra, extra careful and um, don't get sucked into something something crazy there. Okay, um, jumping down here uh, to uh, an, another question. Um, oh, this is a, a, um, a great question. Um, this is from um, uh, Sandy. She asked, this is, this is really good. She says, Mark, I, I need a CPA, and I really like to be able to walk in and meet with my accountant face-to-face on a regular basis. I love your advice and strategies. I, uh, but working with you and or your team across the country is, sometimes seems impersonal to me, and it's hard to understand what we're doing. And then she goes on and says, what are your recommendations of how to find a good local CPA? Well, Sandy, that's a great question. And the, the hard part here is that um, there's great um, uh, CPAs out there. It's just the trick is finding them. So here's what I recommend for any of you out there facing this situation, and that is um, take the strategies that I teach and that you hear on my show and that when you talk with every, you know, uh, anyone on my team, take these strategies and make a list of them and, and know my top ten strategies or just know what they are and you know enough from my workshops to be dangerous. You know, what? how does it escort work and rental losses uh, am I a real estate professional am I not how do I put my kids on payroll what should I do with home office all these little tax tips and strategies you folks hear me talk about all the time write them down in a little list and then get on the phone and start calling some CPAs start interviewing some of them and say hey what do you think about this strategy do you like this one Um, what do you think about um, uh, an S corp what should my payroll be um, and, and go through these different strategies um, and see what their reaction is. If they're like, oh, my gosh, I love that, that's a great strategy, then you, you're probably on to the right type of professional. Talk about their fees, how they work, and you're off and running. But you might, folks, be out there searching for a while. Uh, I know it's frustrating, and um, uh, it's just a tough thing. So, Get out and keep searching. Talk to people about the strategies you hear me talk about. And when you find a bookkeeper and accountant that believes the same and they're on the same page, you may have your person. Until then, folks, please know that you can call us and work with our team, even if it's across the country, with phone, FedEx, fax, and email. We can be very, very efficient. Um, Okay, another uh, comment here. This is from Eric Counts. Uh, Eric, you're awesome. Eric was on the... uh, um, uh, show about three months ago, and he I referenced him in the article and to, that I wrote in the um, newsletter today. So he uh, just emailed in and said, "Mark, thanks so much for the excellent article. Um, you hit the hit it right on the head. Um, please remind everybody to be careful disputing their own." Um, uh, 
goes into a little more detail here, but disputing any of their credit dings or anything online to make sure that you do it through the mail and get support the first time you go through it. Thanks so much, Eric. So, uh, folks, if you saw that article in the newsletter today, it was six steps to start building corporate credit. And here's one of the major points about building corporate credit. So since Eric brings this up, I'll just mention it quickly, is that you have to be building your own credit score at the same time. We want to make sure that your credit score is growing and getting better and better, and that's going to help expedite your corporate credit. Believe it or not, they work hand in hand. And so what Eric's referencing here is that if you've got viewed some negative items on your credit, make sure that you don't just dispute them online because you waive a lot of your rights to what those corporate credit uh, – corporate – I'm sorry – your personal credit improvement strategies, if you want to get those off, you waive rights to that procedure under federal law if you just dispute online. So this is where Eric talks about making sure you do it um, on paper and get some support. Um, Eric is at creditnerds.com, creditnerds.com. I think he does a fantastic job. Uh, Talk with him and um, get a little support there, And and at least the first time going through. And he can help with your corporate credit procedure as well. No major upfront fees, which is the, the really the scary part um, that, I, that I have with a lot of uh, folks. Okay, we've got an estate planning question here. Uh, this is from Julie. Ironically, as you know, our uh, estate planning paralegal is Julie Deck, so we've got some irony here. But we've got a question from Julie. She says, Mark, do, when I, I recently got married, and my husband and I both have um, – children from our prior marriages, should we get a separate trust, each of us, when we do our estate plan, or can we get one joint revocable living trust? Please help. We're trying to save some money and not reinvent the wheel. Julie, great question. So on that note, you really do have two options, and this is good for everybody to hear. Doing your estate plan, a husband could have his own trust and the wife could have her own trust and and, and say, hey, if one of us passes away, the surviving spouse has use of the home, but when everything's ultimately sold, we're going to split it in these two different ways. And so each of you have your own trust that takes care of your children and your grandchildren, and then you kind of have these combined assets that you reference. Um, That's typical. That's not a bad strategy. Um, And some of you may have come to a marriage with your own estate plan or your own trust. And so when you get married, you just do an amendment to kind of tie the whole thing together and put a bow around it. But it is, um, it is also just as efficient to do a joint revocable living trust. So, Julie, it is true, and you can save a few dollars, and that is by doing a joint trust, we can still add all those provisions where your kids get one thing, your husband's get uh, kids get their share, um, you have... Uh, maybe a life estate in the home that you're working on together and building. Maybe you have rental property that you've started to acquire together. It is important that if you are going to have a joint revocable living trust, that you do have uh, make regular amendments, especially if you're acquiring assets together. The trust needs to be really clear on what you're acquiring together so that we know what you're splitting and what you're not splitting. So if something happens to one of you, um, it's very clear for the family. And, guys, this is where major, major lawsuits happen is because people try to cut corners with their estate planning and it just, or do no estate plan at all 
and then it's just a nightmare. So, Julie, bottom line here is do something. Either way is fine. Each of you could have your own trust. Uh, we would do a joint revocable living trust, probably keep the cost down as well. It just needs to be very clear as to who gets what, why, where, when, and how. <laughs> and, and and that's very, very doable. So, um, folks, um, uh, hopefully that helps you too in your estate planning to, to have that, that little information. Okay, well, a few summary points I want to just mention again. For those clients that are in the Hawaii area, we're so excited again to announce our partnership with Jarrett McConnus. Uh, we're downtown here on Bishop Street in Honolulu, and you can come make an appointment with Jarrett and work on your estate plan locally or your entity. And I'll be here on a regular basis about every three months to do some appointments for tax planning. And we're going to have a local bookkeeper here initially and then expand as we grow. So please give us a call if you have questions about that. Folks, the four next workshops coming up, we've got Sacramento, Oregon, and I'm sorry, Sacramento and Seattle, and uh, then back down to Orange County and out to Honolulu in December. So, folks, if you want to catch one of those workshops, it's an update. It's an update. If you've had my workshops before, you're going to get the, the current rules, and I'm going to be adding some additional major topics. It's not going to just be the same old Mark, song and dance, that's my jokes. I really want to make it powerful. So, please, check that out. Um, and make it to one of the workshops and folks I just want to continue to uh, challenge you don't give up keep living the dream it is it is so hard out there for entrepreneurs with the ups and downs of income and small business I know it can be overwhelming please know that you're part of a family here we're all trying to help and uh, it's it's just a it's just a it's it's about the journey and it takes time. So for what it's worth, I just wanted to end on that touchy feely note. Thank you for everyone for listening listening to the open forum show today. Uh we'll be here next week and excited about next week. I think we're gonna be talking about college uh um, college strategies for paying for college, the FAFSA, um getting through college faster, and since it's uh time for many of you that are paying big tuition bill, uh, you might be freaking out a little bit. So um we're going to be covering that next week on the show, so spread the word. And I'll see you next week uh, for another uh, round of the Mark Kohler Show. And hope that many of you continue to uh, live your dream. Don't give up. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Mm-hmm.